2: Second and ten. He's back to throw. Got a Rips coming in. Screen pass right side. Here comes Chubb. 35, 30, 25, 20. He's going. He's going. He's gone. Nick Chubb is in.
0: Touchdown.
1: It's the biggest ever Victory Monday. I'm here with Ian Wright and Jack Duffin. Ian, how are you
0: feeling? You know, jubilated, excited, happy. A little shocked, honestly. It was one of those things where... I didn't know what the hell we were getting into. I was nervous as hell for kickoff. And then it was a whirlwind of emotions, which we'll get into. But the Browns freaking won. They beat the Steelers. We're off to Kansas City. First road win since 1969. First playoff win since I was 11 years old. It's mayhem, man. It's mayhem. And, you know, it was awesome to see. I was up late. Um, I may have made some impromptu purchases on the Browns team website very late in the night, which I won't get till seems around Super Bowl time. So, whoops, you're welcome, Miles Garrett. I look forward to getting the, uh, this jersey autographed by you so it can end up on my wall. But, yeah, I mean, Paul, this is the first time in most Browns fans, like in the memorable generation, that we've had this type of just elated joy. Yeah, mate, it's been absolutely amazing.
1: Um, I have to be honest, I'm not as old as Browns fan as yourself, so I've not got through the pain of the rest of you Cleveland fans. But Jack, it was a great night for you. I, I believe it was a double winner for you.
2: Yeah, Nick, Nick Chubb delivered, um, unlike last week where he just bottled it. Um, but he, he delivered this week, so uh, he got me the nine and a half uh, receiving yards. So Jack, and, have you ever seen him? He went over and- by a little bit.
0: Have you ever seen Dumb and Dumber, the movie with Jim Carrey and uh, Jeff Daniels? Long, long time ago. Chubb totally redeems himself.
2: <sighs> well, it, it didn't quite cover the, the loss of last week, but uh, we're well on our way. The fact is, we're going to get another chance to bet the Nick Chubb receiving over this year. And that is why I'm really excited the Browns made it to the uh, divisional round. But to be honest, it, it it was just weird because I've come into it thinking, hey, this is going to be easy to stay up one in the morning through to a half four in the morning. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat all night. The end of the first quarter, and I'm tweeting, hey, is it about time we rested some starters? It, it, and I actually did send that tweet because I just don't care. Um, but it was nuts. Um, absolutely insane. Not only was it insane, it, it was the biggest lead in NFL history at the end of the first quarter. So it happened in a playoff... Oh, my mates were like, oh, that's just in playoff games, isn't it? I was like, no, that's every game.
0: Yeah, that, that was insane. I mean, I think it was what the most points scored in the first quarter in a playoff game, I think. Yeah, and biggest lead, it was... Paul, you were how many Jaeger bombs did you do last night? One yeah, for every uh, touchdown?
2: Was... All of them.
1: Yeah. I lost count, and um, I, was in... I haven't slept yet, so if my words do slur and slip all over the place. I do apologise, but I've got to say I was absolutely over the moon at half-time, but that third quarter really dragged out, and the first part of the fourth quarter, I was just waiting for that classic Brownsy moment, but beating the Steelers in the Heinz Field Superdome is now a new era. History has been made we are no longer brownzy. This
0: is it. We're here to win it. Yeah. The odd part about the game, though, Paul, is the Browns would have had to have made not just one, but about two or three brownzy like moves to match the Steelers League like moves. Because, I mean, they handed us so many just gifts on a platter that the one little like joy i had was even if we had a strip sack or you know not that i'm wishing for that or an interception or you know a receiver slips and falls we had enough of a buffer to where we would have been over to we would have been able to overcome one mistake two eh, let's not go that far but you should have had a little bit of comfort knowing we at least had enough room for one mistake and we didn't make it
2: well, to, to be fair, they, they set up that mistakes could have caused, but who was the team actually making mistakes? It was the Steelers. The two punts, I have got no idea. They obviously can't count. They don't know what they're doing. It was just bad play calling. And Mike Tomlin obviously has a great history of a really good head coach. But I don't know what, what on earth happened. Because not only was it Big Ben making mistakes, Pouncey making mistakes. When you're making decisions like that, it's like they're on our side of the field and they're punting on fourth and short. It, it was just insane because stuff like that, I'm like, oh, they're going to go for this here. And then they bring out the punter and I'm like, oh, sorry, what? I'm, I'm, I'm missing something. And it's, they just don't like win probability. and uh, I, I can you tell you much. what he was
0: thinking here. I, I'm Obviously, I'm not a Steelers fan. The wife maybe, but I'm not. But here's what Tomlin was thinking. Okay, On the previous drives, the Browns went, I think seven plays, 20 yards, three men's punt. The Steelers went eight for 84 touchdown, three minutes. The Browns went three plays, two yards, one minute of possession, punt. Then they went 12 plays, 68 yards, three minutes, touchdown. And we went three plays, two yards, one minute, 27 possessions, and punt. So we started the third quarter, punt, punt, punt. We ran a combined 13 plays and had 31 yards. So Tomlin's sitting there because by the way, it really wasn't fourth and one. It was a really long one. And if you look at the spot, we got screwed on a couple of spots, which we won't get into too much. It was about fourth and two. So Tomlin's like, all right, these guys, and I'm just, I'm just telling you the devil's advocate. Cause I, yes, I would have gone and I was tweeting back and forth with the ESPN stats guy. And he said in their book, it was a go anywhere from fourth and one to fourth and six. So one, two or three, it didn't matter. The theory was okay. This offense sucks. They are, they've lost their momentum. We have it. Pin them inside of the 10. Make them go three and out. Trust the number one defense in the NFL. And then you can pour it on again. He didn't want to give them the opportunity to make a play because we know the Steelers can't run the ball. So on a fourth and short, you're probably looking at a short, quick passing situation. Ben had gotten a couple passes batted down. He played it safe. The problem was the punter crushes it in the end zone so you only had a net of, what, 25 yards? So the, the lack of execution was on the special team side in the sense that they weren't able to get that ball pinned within the 10. Because once you get a touchback, now, yeah, you're right. You should have just gone for it. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. But I understood. I'm not saying I would have done it. I just understand why he did it. And then it just was one of those things where the Steelers did not execute, which was a common theme all game for them.
2: But if you trust your defence, that's perfect. That's when you go for it. Because you're like, offence, you stay out there on fourth down. Defence, we trust you. If this goes wrong, you've got our back. And that, that, that's where you say to your players, actually, I've got faith in you. I've got faith in my offence. I've got faith in my defence. It was just the coward's way out. And Mike Tomlin, you are spanked.
1: Well, anyway, guys, we are a Cleveland Browns podcast and not a Steelers pro- podcast. So let's get into the classic question. Ian yesterday's offense out of 10 what are you giving it in
0: you know we've talked about Tennessee we've talked about Dallas there is a number that is out there that is coveted and that is the perfect score of 10 I would have said we would have been as close to that number as possible but as we just astutely mentioned there was a few drives in the third quarter that made your butt cheeks pucker up a little bit so I think what happened was, I think we're coming in at a nine. Anytime you score 48 points. Now, I know some of it's defensive, and we'll get into that a little bit, but I think that was a nine. I think the offense controlled the game for three out of the four quarters. I think Baker's efficiency, 21 of 34, 263 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, Chubb having 76 yards, hitting that over prop, Chubb, yeah uh, i'm sorry hunt having 48 yards hitting that over prop with two touchdowns where the man was just possessed the one thing and jack i'm curious i'm gonna ask you this question does kareem hunt not remind you of derrick henry like they run very similar they they don't avoid contact they're running directly through you chubbs like oh you want to try to usher me out of bounds i'm just gonna step inside and make you look like an idiot kareem hunt says robert splain come get you some and he just goes right through them. now henry's 6'3", 250, hunts 5'11", 220, but they run exactly the same.
2: Yeah, I, I, I can certainly see parts in there. Um, for me, I was bouncing between, ironically, an eight and a nine. And the, I, I'd pure, say nine. the, the pure reason for that is it, they, they weren't really given an opportunity for large parts of the game to show they could drive the field because they were that bad. Big Ben was the uh, the Browns' MVP. Baker Mayfield oh, was sure. phenomenal, but big, what on earth was going on? I just don't know. Um, it was laughable. It was absolutely laughable. So I think Baker really stood out. Um, there was times when there was errors, there was a few drops, but um, these things are going to happen. Um, yeah, the, the several sort of failure to just sort of pop one. And I thought we turned to the run a bit too fast and I get why you do it. But uh, I thought we should have just kept the hammer down. Uh, but to be fair, yeah, it was the second quarter, and I, I was sitting there tweeting uh, rest, rest, rest. Some starters, I, I had no concerns. Well, a so, point. You know, I'm happy to go over nine.
0: One of the things I, I really liked was the Steelers out in terms of total yardage had 553 yards of total offense so the Browns 390. Now remember, the Browns had four interceptions in a fumble. So they had, were able to have short fields pretty much the entire day. They were still able to manage 21st downs and the time of possession, you'd think 553 yards, all these short fields, 32 minutes for the Steelers, 26 for the Browns. So the Browns were able to hold onto the ball I know, Paul, you'd mentioned about tight butt cheek time in the third. But if you looked after that point, the Browns did an exceptional job on offense. You know, they went six minutes on that field goal drive in the fourth quarter, which killed half the quarter. And I think that drive there was literally what put everybody at peace because the Steelers couldn't stop you. You got them out of their eight and nine man fronts and you were able to just milk that and end the game, which is great. That's why the offensive efficiency, I thought, was very good even in spite of those three drives to start the third where we did next to nothing. Jack, are you happy with a nine?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with a nine. I just, it, it, this offense got the potential to get a 10 in a game. It, this just wasn't it. And, the, and that's nothing to do, it weren't particularly on them. Um, but no, I, I, I'm more than happy with a nine.
0: If you want to see a 10, go watch, go watch the Bills versus the Dolphins week 17 if you want to see what a 10 on offense looks like. When we hit a when we hit a fifty burger like that on somebody, we're going uh, Varsity Blues. team. But for right now, nine.
1: I thought the O line, you know, was amazing. I thought Baker played well. I thought our wide receivers did good jobs, especially Landry. Obviously, our running backs was really good. Tight ends. I thought Hooper could have had a good catch, and he he uh, bounced off his chest. Uh, nice seeing Juku step up, make some make some catches. But yeah. A nine out of ten, I think, is very fair.
2: Yeah, just on a uh, O line sensation, Dunn, who uh, Michael Dunn, off to the, ho- off to the uh, postseason Hall of Fame. The Fighting um,
0: Maryland Terrapins.
2: He uh, is only done one year now as a uh, a crew season for being on roster and play. So um, we now have him for two more years at less than about seven hundred and fifty thousand each year, and then. Is twenty twenty three season is going to come in at somewhere around two point five million second round tender, so um, cheap, cheap, cheap,
0: and we so, love it. So for all those people out there that see Nick Chubb run around the field and you instantly go out and buy their jerseys, when Jack sees a contract like that, he's already pre-ordered the Michael Dunn T-shirt jersey. It's already on its way. There's an, when you have a uh, just a beautiful cap number like that and performance like that, Jack's all in. Tony Pollard. All right, guys, think. let's go defense. Well, Before we do that, we have to to give at least a little bit of a segment to this offensive line. First things first, huge happy birthday to Blake Hance. Blake, I learned your first name about 10 minutes after you entered the game. I then found out, because with me, I need to know who these people are. He comes in the game. I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, who is this Hance guy? I've never heard of him. I, I called him Jim Nance one time. I look him up. He's a fighting Northwestern Wildcat. He lives 15 minutes from me, Blake. I tweeted you. When you get back to Chicago, you let me know. There's a birthday thank you package coming from me. I can. Paul, we're getting this guy on the podcast. This is un, indisputable. Like he, he's coming on to be able to step in in that type of game. He played 14 snaps, five of them in pass block, nine in run block, and to not do anything egregious is absolutely amazing considering this guy has been with the team less than two weeks has never met if I'm not mistaken in person Kevin Stavansky they asked him today and he's like I look forward to it so he's never met the offensive line coach he's never met the head coach and he played the fourth quarter of a playoff game that's amazing
2: Baker Mayfield for the first time in the dressing room
0: yes I mean, to be able to do that, like we talk about the Steelers and how they stick in a linebacker and the guy's so damn productive and stuff like that. And it just seems like the Browns have now created with, you know, Jedrick Wills on the outside, JC Treder in the middle and Jack Conklin who obviously left the game, which we'll get briefly into that before we move on defense. The Browns have created a situation where you can put guys in for short spells and get not obviously the same performance you're going to get from Joel Batonio. Let's stop with that. However, you're able to get somebody to come, on, come in and finish out a game where the body of work is done. So one of the benefits that I think the Browns had with – and it, it's kind of weird, and I don't know. I wish somebody would ask asked Stefanski this. Kendall Lamb took all of the first-team rep snaps at right tackle in practice because of uh, Conklin's illness. So obviously it was nice that he had all these reps. Now we're talking about one practice, but still. He was able to get the calls, the lines, and all that other stuff. So by him coming in, it wasn't huge. Obviously, when you lose an all-pro right tackle, number one in PFF, according to the, uh, the intro, that's huge. But I'm curious if one of the reasons they didn't want to force Conklin back in because of that hamstring, you know, they were up at that point 35 to 7 or whatever it is, and they just said, no, 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 no. Let's... He took all the practice rep snaps. We're comfortable. I just am curious to see how serious that hamstring injury is because if it's a mild hamstring thing and he can be ready to go for next week, that may be one of the reasons they left Lampman.
2: Yeah, and to be fair, lots of the sacks and stuff people put on the O-line, it comes down a lot more actually to the, the quarterback. And if Baker's getting that ball out quick, then it doesn't really matter. Um, and it really, really did show. So uh, no, he, he Lamb was just average. And that, that's all you want. And when you say average, that's not condescending in any way. Average is bloody good, um, for what you're asking from a a backup walking in because we're saying that's the same average as a phenomenal O line that of our starters. Obviously, what um, Hubbard's our sixth O lineman, he's out, seventh Nick Harris, he's out, Lamb, eighth, he played, um, nine done, we're on ten, um, whoever that guy was, uh, Hans. Um, who said, how many teams have got their 10th O-lineman playing
0: (laughs) and it's still functioning? Not only do we have our 10th O-lineman, we have, what, our 7th quarterback, 6th quarterback? No, it was just an absolutely impressive job. Paul, thank you for bringing up that point because, like I said, we got to give a shout-out to that offensive line. That was fantastic. And also, in terms of offensive line, you had mentioned it as well, Paul, about the tight ends, the extension of the tight ends. You know, having Austin Cooper come in who graded out really well in his pass blocking and, most importantly, Stump Mitchell – getting these running backs to want to buy into pass protection. The number one pass blocking grade on the Browns, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt had an 84.4 pass blocking grade. Nick Chubb had a 73. That's not like a C. That's, those are above average pass blocking grades for your running backs. So you wonder why you can break the Steelers' streak of consecutive sacks uh, in a game. It's when you have your tight ends, your running backs, and your offensive line all on the same page, and that rolls directly uphill. Coaching, 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 and culture.
1: Just reading a really interesting thing about um, our mate Blake. He got paid 40000 to drive from New Jersey to um, for the game. He made 14 snaps.
0: Well, the best part is he gets paid because the Browns won, and now going to the next round can get paid again. Um, if you guys want a really good, I will always about shouting out other podcasts, Joel Corey on his latest uh, inside the cap podcast breaks down how players are paid in the, uh, in the playoffs. And it kind of just explains like, yeah, a guy like Odell Beckham or Baker Mayfield that are making millions of dollars, 33, $34,000 doesn't mean a lot. But when you start talking about like the Blake Hanses of the world that, you know, are able to go along into the playoffs, you know, they're able to almost double their pay just by playing in these games. So yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Blake. Your, your first beer whenever Chicago opens is on me, buddy. I'll come 15 minutes down the road and see you.
2: Yeah, because pl- teams don't pay players. Um, it's all funded out of the league. So it won't impact your salary cap, anything like that. It's all done internally. So, um, no, it's, it, 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 as Ian said, it's massive for those uh, smaller guys, especially a practice squad guy that calls up and gets played because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big old payday.
0: What's wild, uh, Paul? Baker? Case Keenum, Cody Parkey, Jamie Gillen, and Blake Hance all make the exact same amount for that game. Let that sink know. in. Baker Mayfield and Blake Hance made the exact same amount of money in last night's game, and will make the exact same amount of money against the Chiefs.
1: Interesting. I didn't know <laughs> Paul's that really face cool.
0: right now is mind-blown. What about Miles Garrett, no? Same money. Every single player on the field gets the exact same amount. Whether you're really? Miles Garrett making $25 million or you're Charlie Hewitt. Yep, they all make the same. Javier Thomas. Javier Thomas, Miles Garrett, equal pay. What about Odell Beckham? Would he get paid if not they, playing? Yes, he he played in a majority of the games. Therefore, he is paid. You have to have played at least four, I think, four or six. And he did. And he's under contract. I think there was a player once that got paid for two different teams being in the play. Corey pointed it out. There was one guy, he had a client who last got year. traded in, like, week 10. Sanders
2: last year. I think it was Emmanuel Sanders last year got double paid.
0: There may be – there's a few, but he had one where they could double dip, and, like, he was on both teams that played in the Super Bowl. So he got, like, half – he got full pay from one and half pay from the other. It was beautiful. So, Browns, if you want to sign me just to show up and whatever, I'll do it. So, anyways, Paul, now we can move on it. to the defense. All for the money. All right. Jack – I'm coming for
1: you. Defense, out of 10, what are you going with,
2: Jack? Ooh, I know you're asking tough questions. Let me have a butcher's, because it, it, was, it was good. It wasn't anything special. Um,
0: it was literally the highest of highs and the lowest of lows.
2: It, it, because I'm not really crediting... Obviously, they got down there and got to the ball on that first play. I didn't really credit in the defense to that. That's on Mike Pouncey and uh,
0: the old washed-up Big Ben um, stumbling around. <laughs> him and James Carter looking at each other like, are you going to recover it? No. Are you going to recover it? No. And then here comes Miles Garrett. By the way, Miles, we got to work on your scooping scores. You had a touchdown, and you blew it.
2: I, w- I want to give him a seven, but we can't do sevens. No,
0: they're not sevens. I'm sorry. So... I think I think six is the... Uh...
2: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go six.
0: Yeah. I think six. I had eight before the start of the show. Eight? Paul, yeah. Paul, I love you, brother. I know you're a homer. but Here's the thing. Are we grading on a curve? How dare you call me a homer? Are we grading on I'll a curve? Home. Like, are we basically saying we watched 16 weeks of this defense and we've created a baseline, and then we're grading based on that, or are we grading based on an NFL defense?
2: NFL defense. Yeah, there's six.
1: I'm basing it on the uh how well we did
0: in that game defense. We had five, we were plus 5 in turnovers Put and we way. won by 12. 5 turnovers and you give it a 6. The, yes, the because opposed, you gave up 37 points. The,
2: the opposing quarterback threw for over 500 yards but we caught him, though. NFL Record for the most amount of pass completions in <laughs> a postseason game, the thing,
0: Paul. It's it's I, and I I I say this out of love. Okay, when you are starting guys like Sheldrick Redwine, when you're starting guys like Carl Joseph, when you're starting guys like you know Tavier Thomas coming in and taking steps. MJ Stewart had 87 snaps yesterday. Robert Jackson had 76. It's almost impossible to get because these guys, that's not what they do. So if I'm grading on a Brownsy curve in the sense of how well did our defense play based on their normal? Okay. Then we can maybe go up because, you know, obviously they created turnovers that they hadn't created in half a season, but in terms of a defense, I mean, you look at the defensive grades. We only had three players above 70 and one of them was my guy, Andrew Sandejo for all you haters out there. Andrew Sandejo coming in with a nice 72.7. The other two being Porter Gustin and the guy that you may hear his name coming up here a little bit later, BJ Goodson. BJ Goodson was the highest rated player on the Browns defense. Extend him. Yeah. i
2: said it pile on him back up. Woo!
0: Very small amount. So, yeah, I, I would say six. And it's really because they got sh- – because think about it, Paul. If they didn't have those turnovers and that was the offensive performance that the Steelers put up, we'd give them a one. I mean, they got shredded. I mean, they made your butt cheeks get tight for a reason because it's Robert Jackson. I like it when my butt cheeks get tight.
2: <laughs> pays
0: yeah, We're so. going to have a silent pause after that one. <laughs> All
1: right, we're going to go over six. But some of the highlights, I've got to say, I thought um, our secondary
0: really stepped up yesterday. I think they absolutely took advantage of a quarterback that was off his game. And was giving them gifts. Absolutely.
2: Boy, I. What's the office game? He's been shocking
0: for ages. He's a washed-up old fart. Put him in a retirement home. Oddly enough, if you think about it from just Ben, the snap over his head. The guy is six foot five. So if a snap goes over his head, it's going over everybody's head. That's on Pouncy. The one to Benny Snell. I guess I can put that one on Roethlisberger. He overthrew it. The one to Deontay Johnson, that ball's got to be caught. The one to Taki Taki's on Roethlisberger. And the one to Red One, the Red One was the tip one from Deontay Johnson. So there's your four interceptions. The Gustin one was tipped, which we'll get to. But, I mean, two of those were on him. The other ones are really on other guys. But, I mean, overall, that Steelers offense was not – they were not – I mean, they were, they were really good in the third quarter, and they were really – in the first half.
1: At the start of the season, I was really worried about a linebackers. if you remember – and I thought yesterday, against the Steelers,
2: whoever they turned up yesterday, the linebackers played well. There's just a really bizarre combination with our linebackers. So, basically, we have like a top five linebacker in every single category. But they're only good at that one, one thing. thing. <laughs> so, we've got like a top five tackler. We've got top five coverage we've got a top five run defense and it's it's just insane and it's literally on joe woods to sit there and decide what we need on that all right what
0: what player are we calling it. here so paul if you were to guess the linebacker snaps can you name all the linebackers that played yesterday yeah sure go
1: we'll go with um Taki. tacky yep let's go bj Jacobson. yep Jacob Phillips. Yep. Um, Trey Day. Is that
0: he's called? Tay Davis has only played on special teams.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm sure I saw him on okay. special
0: teams. He was fighting.
2: And teams. he was dancing on the sideline.
1: Let's
0: let's go with Malcolm Smith. Yep. Who else? There's there's more. Linebackers. Who who do we talk about oftenly that blocks people by searching them on Twitter? Jack. I al- no. I Alabama. Um, yeah, I troll him a lot. Mac Wilson, yeah, twenty percent. Mac Wilson. Okay, so who of those linebackers played the most snaps? So you had Phillips, Smith, <laughs> Mac Wilson, Taki Taki, B.J. Goodson. Taki eh. Taki. Taki Taki played thirty-three snaps. Um, Phillips, Jacob Phillips played forty-nine snaps. Malcolm Smith, thirty-four. Mac Wilson, 18. EJ Goodson, 42, who was out for a little bit with an injury. And Taki Taki, 33. So Jacob Phillips took the most snaps, and he was your lowest-graded linebacker, actually the lowest-graded player on defense. So Jack's right. You have five linebackers. All of them are okay somewhere in, like, maybe a pass rush thing here and there. But we played five of them because there's not one guy you can leave out there for a sustained period of time.
1: Interesting. I'm really looking forward to the off shows to go into the linebacker room in
0: detail and see who we're going to cut and who we're going to keep. It'll be interesting. It was nice to see Ronnie Harrison, you know, at least get out there. He limited snaps. So something's not right with her. He only played 11 snaps. Um, But hopefully, you know, him against, you know, a team like Kansas City is going to be big, which we'll get into that preview show. But I mean, overall in the defense, here's the thing I thought was best about the defense. Right. And you have to give Joe Woods credit for this. Okay. Two points. I'm going to list off six guys. Carl Joseph, MJ Stewart, Sheldrick Redwine, Vincent Taylor, Porter Gustin, and Taki Taki. All six of those guys had an impact play in a playoff game. And not one of them are your core defensive players. Carl Joseph obviously recovered a fumble in the end zone for a touchdown. MJ Stewart had a nice one-handed interception. Sheldrick Wedwine with an interception. Vincent Taylor with a batted pass. Porter Gustin with an interception. Taki Taki with an interception. All six of those guys had an impact play, and not one of them are Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, or any of the big named core pieces. And I thought Claiborne did did okay. I mean, he was out there at least getting some pressure on the end. I saw a couple holding calls that weren't called, and I thought Sheldon Richardson put everything and everything out there. I just have seen enough of him in coverage. Let's just leave him kind of on the line of scrimmage. But the idea, by the way, that the Browns went into a prevent defense in the third quarter is just nonsense. It did not happen. If you look and you watch the game, you're going to see random blitzes from Sendejo, from Redwine, from corners, from safeties, from linebackers. Woods continually tried to mix it up to create pressure. The problem was the Browns cannot create pressure with four and drop seven. So what they have to do is they're trying to run these little odd blitz schemes. The problem is, is that opens up windows in the zone. So when they dropped in zone, the Steelers went right down the field, like a warm knife through butter. That didn't work. Then they said, all right, we need to dial up a little bit of pressure here and muddy up the pocket. They did that. And the Steelers went down the field faster than they did the time before. So, The idea that Woods was like playing the exact same prevent defense the entire second half is actually not true at all. He was trying to generate pressure from different routes. That's why you start seeing, you know, Sendejo with 46 snaps, Porter Gustin with 30, Vincent Taylor 21. You got to remember he's a run stuffing guy, right? Jordan Elliott 27 before he left with an injury. You know, you're trying different combinations of guys and the only defensive player that did not leave the field was Terrence Mitchell. And the guy who is second was MJ Stewart. So you're talking about guys where we just tried different you know, compilations and different schemes and different packages, which I can't complain about. They're not that good. This defense is exactly what they were for 16 weeks. For all the people that were shocked, go watch Dallas, go watch Tennessee. If you didn't foresee the Browns giving up this kind of lead, then you haven't watched this team because that defense is not great in terms of a team that's going to spread you out and just pass it all over the field. So that's why I say from a Browns defense standpoint, creating those turnovers by a Brown standard, it's eight by a league standard. It's a six, but that defense, I mean, you're, you don't have any of your defensive starters out there. You don't have Ward. You don't have greedy. You, you know, you really didn't have Ronnie Harrison out there all that much. You don't have Delpit who I think they really, really, were looking forward to this year. So the defense is going to be overhauled. We know this. You have a couple pieces you're going to keep and you go from there.
2: And it's, it's why you'll hear me bang on about secondary, 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 because we yeah, we're missing Vernon, but pretty much everything else was there on the D line and it didn't make any difference. And it really comes down to, do you have a secondary? And it can be done. Miami have turned around from pretty much a defense worse than we are this year, last year, to one of the top three NFL defenses. So it certainly can be done. Obviously, turnover luck is completely random at times, um, but you can really, really get there. And I'm I'm not that worried about the defense. If we were sitting here going, "Ah, we need to fix our offense for next week or next season, then I'm sitting there going, yeah, we're screwed. Fixing the defense isn't as hard as it actually seems. It's very much more about the, the average across the pond. Superstars on defense don't make that much a difference. Having seven, eight guys who are really above average changes the entire game.
0: Look how much money the Steelers have in their defense and the Browns just hung 48 on them in a playoff game.
2: Let, let's steal their
0: slot corner. I wouldn't mind. All right,
1: game. guys. I need to get to bed. I haven't slept all night. If let's you, do special things.
0: I was going to say, if you leave without talking about specials, sir, you're going to be on a 13-minute band. How about in the pregame, you asked me, is there going to be a donk? I said, no donk. No, no donks. There will be no donks. I don't even think Parky was if within five feet of a bar. You could have made that a rugby goal. You could have made it an XFL goal. Parky was perfect. Just split the uprights, bang every time. There wasn't even a tight one. You were like, oh, right down the middle, Cody Parky, baby.
2: We might not have had a donk, but we did have a donkey. His name was Mike Pouncy. <laughs>
1: All right. What did you
2: think of the
0: specials? I'm going to go overnight. In the, uh, in the pregame, we talked about the, uh, the abilities for the special teams for the Browns to, to either neutralize or win that, that side of the ball. So we said, you know what? The Steelers have a really good special teams. The Browns have been struggling. So what can we do to kind of neutralize that? And when your kicker goes out and hits six extra points, when they hit two field goals, when your punter has five punts, two inside the 20. And by the way, for I think for the first time all season, our kickoff return average was above 25 yards. Just saying, just saying we didn't, we didn't have any major muffs. There was no big turnovers. Paul, I have a hard time disagreeing. I think it's I think it's an eight. I thought Prefer did a really good job. I thought our kick coverage hit hard. They didn't give the Steelers the opportunity to get a big return. Um, I thought the special teams played really well. Honestly, I did.
2: Who was the best special teamer in the entire wildcard round playing over 50% of snaps? Let, let, let's try out. Who do you reckon, Paul?
1: It's got to be the Scottish hammer. Gotta be the hammer.
2: It's Thomas. Oh, what? Thomas. It's my boy.
0: It's Mr. Tovier Thomas. The I French say, sensation. Did you, did you see what Prefer said in the post game about who got subbed in as an offensive lineman on the special teams packages?
2: I was already in bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Larry Ogunjobi was playing on the offensive line in the special teams because they didn't have anybody else. So on field goal block, on field goal kick, he was out there taking snaps. Our guy Larry O trying to get that veteran minimum contract extension. I was going to ask the question, guys. If all of our O-line were injured, who would step up, do you think? you would have to put tight ends or you'd have to put anybody that tight ends could you uh, put yeah, miles garrett in at all. no you would never put miles garrett in that's it. 25 million a year no i wouldn't i'll put in Porter augustin before i put in um miles garrett you'd you'd try with like Janovich. i mean you try to anybody that knows how to block anybody
1: say if it was say if it was last snap of the game one yard off steelers were going to uh, You've got to have eight active
2: on game day. day, so the chance is of getting you need four.
0: three injured. Four. Because even it's with three, happened. you'd still have five to go. Yeah. yeah. You'd need four injured before you'd be out of legit offensive linemen. Mm. Or if and oh, like I, you're with, uh, what's his name, Greg Robinson, and you just start kung fu kicking people in the head and you get ejected. So it, the, I guess the way it could happen is if a fight broke out and several offensive linemen threw punches and they all got ejected. Strong, I like that. (laughs) How about uh, how about our boy with the Steelers throwing the punches into the TV screen, Paul? You think he wants to play right tackle? Bring it on, that's what I say. Bring it on,
2: is that the one with the tea cozy on his head?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's the one with my uh, my future barber. Yes, I I must say, what an ass on that guy. That was you know, for as much as people say that you know, I know, and listen. Steelers fans, you guys got to eat this crow. Okay. Listen, I will say this about the wife. The wife was a fantastic sport. You know, obviously she reminds me of the number of Super Bowls that they have that we don't have. If you were a Steelers fan talking shit, if you're Colin Cowherd in the backwards hat, by the way, savage move by Baker to turn the hat. Did you see this ball? Baker sits down at the podium with the hat forward and just nonchalantly spins it around backwards and starts taking questions. Doesn't even just in his face does not change legend. You have to eat the crow. If you've been Colin Dunlap and all these guys, you've been out there. I don't care if they have autogram, Jim Brown. And by the way, Daryl Ryder, friend of the show, you got to take it, buddy. I'm sorry. Don't go blocking people on Twitter. You went on the Steelers radio station and said, there's no chance they win this game. Should play backups. He told us we should play back- play the backups. You, have the to, backup you you
2: should unblock anyway.
0: every Browns fan on your thing and you sit there and you take it, buddy. You're going to, you, I mean, that's the joy of sports, right? So last week we had the great story of Tom, which brings a tear to your eye every time you think about it. But in the same sense, if you're willing to go in enemy territory and smack talk your team, you have to just take that. You should have a public flogging. You should have, he should be at times square on a podium strapped to a seat to answer questions for hours from Browns fans. That's ridiculous. You need to be complete Homer when you no, I'm just kidding, but no, seriously writer. Don't go around blocking people. Cause they're going to come at you. You open the door for that. Colin Dunlap. I thought handled it decently well on Twitter. Colin cowherd must be something about these Collins, you know, just Steelers fans, yinzes and sports and nations. If you need a Steelers fan to look at and how to act and be a true professional, look up our guy, Stewart on twitter this guy he's a great dude steelers fans probably the second best steelers fan i've ever met beside my wife um that's how you act just a total class act it's a great rivalry we enjoy it but at the end of the day you know it it does feel a little good to knock him out it really does so you know what inject it into my veins throw the ham at me hit me with the turkey baster whatever you want i'm going to sit there and take it it is just fuel for my soul. It just warms my heart. I could go outside on this 20 degree gay in Chicago and just be heated by the radiance of the Steelers nation. I, really I
1: think the second best Steelers fan is the guy that chucked the lump of ham at me. I thought he was very good and funny. And then the person. That- said the C word to me multiple times. Was also a really I was going to say,
0: was the guy that threw it, not the same guy that literally called every single one of our family, you know, heritage, the C word. <laughs> I thought that was the same guy. I was distracted as the honey bait came flying at my left eye. But,
2: uh, one thing I did like is after 11 and the, uh, PFF boys were asked who's the most overrated team in the NFL. And they said, the Steelers, it's obvious people are saying they're better than the chiefs. And you had Bud Dupree, you had Eric Ebron going up on Twitter. Oh, you're computer nerds, blah, blah, blah. And uh, wow, what fun just watching all that just blow up on Twitter. And quite frankly, if Kevin Stefanski, the analytics guy, can sit in his basement and win a playoff game with our lineup, if anyone comes at me ever again with, oh, I'll go back to your basement, Kevin Stefanski was in a basement and he did bloody good. So quite frankly... Can stick it. Long live the basement.
0: It's, it's great because these are, you know, we talk about sports, and, you know, I, I highlighted earlier the impact that Tom um, Seipel's story had on a lot of Browns fans. And you see the joy that he had in watching the uh, Baker wear his wristband on the field. And we talk about, You know, there's a lot of little stories within the story, right? So the reason sports are so great is because we have these memories. We'll always remember this. I mean, I texted some, obviously the wife's a Steelers fan, but her father, my father-in-law is not, he is not a Steelers fan. He does not like Tomlin, any of them. So him and I are texting during the first half. And I said, Hey, if you want, I'll send you a load of Brown shirts to pass out around Johnstown, Pennsylvania, you know, the home of the fighting Andrew Hawkins. And he just texts me back and he goes, you know, this is great. And him and uh, the brother-in-law were talking about what are the chances that Ben gets benched for Mason Rudolph. So, you know, these are the, these are the kind of the moments that you share with people that you just enjoy. You know, it's, it's, it's all good fun. We're not playing. We're not getting paid. We're fans. A guy like Paul's out there at 5 in the morning ripping Jaeger bombs on Instagram Live to talk to Brown fans. I mean, Paul, I was in there for a while. You had Germany and Sweden and all these countries. That's what makes it great. That's what makes being a Browns fan so amazing because it's hard to remember the past 18 years of pain and misery and suffering, but having something like that to share with everybody is just fantastic. I mean, we talk about why athletes are so ingrained with Cleveland, right? When you, when you log on to Twitter and you see Andrew Sicilianos and all these guys that are in the media and stuff like that just relishing, it's because the Browns stands for loyalty. You have to be loyal to be one of us. And you look at all these former players. I mean, the reason that Paul loves the undrafted free agents and these guys want to come on the show all the time is because they quickly see the loyalty. At 3 a.m., and I know the Bills do it. So the Bills also, you guys are in this category as well. At 3 a.m., people are driving to the airport to give standing applause to the Browns for coming home. And I guarantee you if Paul lived in the U.S., he'd have been right there with them, probably in those Zumba pants. That's what it's about. It's about that loyalty. All the former players, that's why they feel good for it. That's why they love it. And that's why being a Browns fan is just the best in the world. Interestingly,
1: at 8 a.m., which is 3 a.m. in Cleveland, I had a cheeky little girl next to me in a 32 uh, Jim Brown shirt tucked up in
0: bed. <laughs> she didn't make it the whole night. It was, not- it was nice of you to have you know, people stay over your house to make sure that you were safe for the game. Obviously, she was part of my bubble. Anyway, so uh, calling Boris Johnson, calling Boris Johnson. (laughs) Anyway, guys, anything else you want to discuss before I hit that sack? You hit the sack. We'll talk about the Chiefs later this week. Uh, Tonight, big game, Ohio State versus Alabama in the national championship. And I'm going to tell you if there's a Twitter as obnoxious as Brown's Twitter, it's Buckeye's Twitter. It's going to be a great game. Buckeyes are underdogs by nine points. Um, There is going to be so much NFL talent on that field, guys. If you are a fan of the Browns, and remember, unfortunately, the downside of winning playoff games is now you will be back in the the bottom eight of the NFL draft, which is the best thing that's happened to the Browns in a long time. But there's going to be a lot of guys out there, a lot of wide receivers running all over the field. Um, There's a lot of guys that I just can't wait to watch and, you know, can, can Ohio State complete the Ohio destiny of the weekend? You know, if the, if the Browns win a playoff game on Saturday and the Buckeyes win the national championship on today, I, 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 shut it down. Just shut it down for a couple days. We've already shut it down for corona. Just shut it down for three days for the, for the Ohio sports, Ohio against the world. I don't know if I can take it, but I am going to put together a little video um, of what it's like to watch a Browns game in my house. You know, we got a really cool wedding gift from one of our friends that's a football and it says House Divided. So just to give people a little bit of an idea how, that's, how that works and just watching the emotions and stuff I go to, from all of you that saw me fall out of a chair, you're going to see kind of what it's like to watch a Browns game with me. So I'll put that together and get it out probably this week. Uh, Ian, if the Buckeyes win, is that the last college game of the year? Yeah, that's it. This is, number, this is the Super Bowl of college football. Wow. And it is Nick Saban versus Ryan Day, the Alabama Crimson Tide versus the Ohio State Buckeyes, Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Patrick Sertain, Christian Baysmore, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. I mean, there is, there is probably six or seven first round draft picks starting in tonight's game out of 22. Anyone that we should look out for for the Browns? Uh, there's a defensive tackle out of Alabama, Christian Baysmore. Uh, Is a guy I really like. I don't know if it's possible, but the cornerback from Alabama, Patrick Sertain, he's probably a top 15 pick, so he's probably not going to fall. So maybe you hope that, you know, he smokes some weed or something before the draft and falls a little bit. I don't know, but uh, there's going to be a lot of guys out there. I think the Buckeyes receiver, Chris Olave, if you're looking wide receiver, the problem is is the good ones, Devontae Smith and uh, Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, and Jalen Waddle, who's coming back from injury, they'll probably be gone. I would love Jalen Waddle. This guy can absolutely fly. I mean, you talk about a guy that can add a deep threat. Baker can throw it 70 yards. Well, Jalen Waddle can run that quickly. So Chris Olave is an absolute stud of a receiver for Ohio State. Um, very good route runner. Kind of reminds me of Chris Godwin. So there was a little bit of a banter yesterday on on Twitter regarding Chris Godwin. Alave reminds me a lot of Godwin. Um, you're going to see some guys defensively for Alabama. The one guy I think that's completely overrated is Dylan Moses. Browns need get him out of your mock drafts. He is absolute trash. I do not want Dylan Moses. He is like a worse version of Mac Wilson. Um, but yeah, there's a couple guys out there I'm going to be looking for. So I know
1: a lot of our listeners. Listen to us for draft news, and I've got some bad news. The Browns will be drafting after round 26 next
2: year. Jack, how do you feel about that, mate? It's good, that's a perfect spot to try down. <laughs> <laughs> do all right, it. guys,
1: I just want to say to all our listeners, thank you very much for listening. It's been an absolutely emotional roller coaster. We've still got two more games until we get to the Super Bowl, so we still got some more shows to do between now and the Super Bowl. So I'm super pumped, Jack, super pumped, Ian, super pumped. Any comments, any things? If you subscribe, you subscribe. If you don't, you're a weirdo. So um, yeah, just um,
0: get involved, and thank you very much. Yeah, and give us some suggestions if there's people you want to have, you know, come on the podcast. Um, we've had, you know, really good, just sponsor or listening and our numbers are up over these last couple weeks. So we know that as the Browns get good, you guys are just really craving more content. So keep it up, you know, send your feedbacks. DMs are always open for us and, uh, go Browns.
2: Yeah, no, it's said to be one of the most fascinating off-seasons for Browns in years because we're not talking about oh which quarterback we're we taking, which offensive tackle we're we taking. There's about 150 different directions we could go, so loads and loads of guests and discussion plan because it's, it's going to be fascinating. But uh, we've got four more weeks of games um, before the Browns season ends, so uh, plenty going on.
0: Go Browns. Go Browns.
2: That's going to do it from Pittsburgh, from Hinesfield. Sit back and watch and listen to this one. Inside a half minute, and the Browns will not have to snap the ball again. They will beat the Steelers in the opening round of the playoffs on a wonderful, wonderful wildcard weekend. They knock off the Steelers 48-37. Kansas City, here we come.